Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Banks haven't innovated small business finance in years, and there's no incentive for them to do that. Short-term lending has been around for maybe centuries, right? What is new is identifying a customer segment, which you can really understand by just asking customers to connect their digital presence. Because if you connect with their Shopify APIs or Amazon APIs or any of the e-commerce stores APIs, you can actually get a very good understanding of what is selling, how much is selling, what is the seasonality. And then you connect your marketing ads, you understand like return on ad spends. The amount of data an e-commerce entrepreneur can give you, e-commerce founder can give you, is very different compared to what a restaurant can give you. Dr. Francis Lau and I are busy building a three-pronged credit training program. Don't worry, I'll tell you all about it when it's ready. But for now, what's relevant is that it falls to me to introduce the concept of affordability checking. And for more than a decade, I've taught this in the same way: that once you've priced the loan for risk, you calculate an applicant's repeatable monthly income and allow a certain percentage of that to be assigned as the maximum loan repayment. And then, with the help of my beloved annuity curves, we can turn that into an upfront payout. If they're looking for that amount or less, we're all happy. If they're looking for more, we have to downsell them. It's simple and works very well for your typical salary earner. One thousand pounds a month for sixty consecutive months will settle a fifty thousand pound debt priced at about eight percent APR. Is that affordable for an applicant that has, on average, one thousand five hundred pounds of available income? Well, on one level, yes. In the long run, they will have enough money to cover their payments. But there's usually another level we have to go through to be prudent, because averages are funny things. If an applicant has one thousand five hundred and fifty pounds available one month and one thousand four hundred and fifty pounds available another, that's one thousand five hundred pounds available on average, nice and steady. If an applicant has two thousand five hundred pounds available one month and five hundred pounds available another, that's also one thousand five hundred pounds available on average. Yeah, and while the former applicant will pass out checks easily, the latter one won't, because to be prudent, we'll ignore the higher earning months and cater to the worst case scenarios. Why? Well, because once the contract starts, there's a fixed monthly obligation. In the month in which they earn five hundred pounds, we can't assume they'll be able to afford the one thousand pound repayment, even if the month before they were flush, because in that flush month. We didn't ask for more, but what if we did? What if the obligation moved with those incomes? Because the traditional lending model, as it is today, punishes volatile businesses, and there are a lot of very good volatile or simply fast-growing businesses out there. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan Lagrange.
Pratik Sawal, after many, many delays, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Really excited to be here. Pratik, you're a mechanical engineer turned banker, which is not an uncommon route into the industry. But saying that does uh, injustice to your CV, which is really a who's who of the internet economy. Ex-Amazon, ex-Revolut, ex-Tide, ex-Wayflyer, and now an independent consultant. So talk to me about your early career and what put you on this path to, to where you are today. A lot of it is accidental, but I did my mechanical engineering only to realize that I don't want to do that. So I moved to Bombay to work in a startup doing data analysis. My client at that time moved to Amazon to launch Amazon Business in India. So I was fortunate that he took me with him. Three years setting up India business, setting up is the wrong word. There was like a large team. And then three years in UK business. Amazon is wonderful. I learned everything there. To be honest, I owe a lot to Amazon. Uh, All my thinking comes from them. But at the same time in Europe as a product manager, it's slow. Because obviously you're working with hundreds of millions of shipments at any given point of time. You can't experiment as well. Revolut at that time was growing massively. So I had a good fortune of working there for two years. Revolut Business, which is a B2B bank account for small businesses. After two years there, got burnt out because of COVID. I moved to Tide, trying to launch a marketplace business for Tide. I spent a year trying to figure that out. When one of my ex-colleagues from Revolut moved to Wayflyer, and he wanted someone to lead product, and he pushed me, basically. Yeah, and Wayflyer is a leading name in the world of revenue-based financing, but what is revenue-based financing and what sort of work were you doing there? So revenue-based financing is not innovative in any way. It's a short-term loan given to small business owners so that they can buy inventory or spend on digital marketing, while revenue-based financing has payback is a percentage of revenue a customer is making. So in a nutshell, the way it works is They can connect their Shopify platform, Amazon platform, point of sale terminal, bank data via open banking, accounting data via their QuickBooks, APIs and things like that. And WeFlyers and other revenue-based financing companies make a, do a good analysis of understanding this particular business. And then they give them a short-term loan and the collection is not fixed. So it's not a three months loan. And it's not even called loan in most of the geographies. It's called merchant cash advance. So what you're buying is future receivables for a merchant. I'd always assumed it was a case of, you know, you've got terms of 60 days. And so basically just a very simple advance. But actually, you do need to understand how the business works and absorb in some of those unknowns, like when the when the revenue is going to be generated. And it's it has got a real good product market fit, as it's called in Startup World. Because a lot of these, at least in e-commerce segment, you have this three to four months working capital constraint because e-commerce segment can actually grow massively over a very short period of time, but no banks will fund them because banks need 18 months data to get any loan, right? They don't understand like an e-commerce business, which became zero to hundred million pounds in, in a matter of 12 months. They can't even give 10 million when their monthly revenue is 10 million. So hence, these alternative lenders have propped up and it's serving a very good market niche, which big traditional banks can never do. Pratik, so if I am an e-commerce provider, I've got my business up and running, growing faster, now I want to access this sort of finance. How do you, with your lending hat on, turn that revenue stream or that future possible revenue stream into a loan? What sort of things are you thinking about to value that and put it in those sort of flexible loan terms? Yeah, I think a couple of things to highlight. 
in the background, the way it works is we get from customers four types of data. One is their e-commerce data, which is Shopify, Amazon. Second is their banking data via open banking. Third is their marketing data, which is how much money they are spending to gain the revenue. And the last is accounting data for large value transactions. So using these four data, we, deter- we determine a forecast of what this person's revenue should be and the profitability of business should be over the next 6-12 months period. Use that forecast to determine what if we provide a particular offer to customer, what is the usual payback period to be expected. So although we are saying to customers that they have to pay only 10 or 20% of their sales as a prepayment, what is actually happening in back end is we are calculating what does this 20% revenue lead to in terms of three months or six months. or Yeah, so you would do it the same way that a, a, a traditional lender might say, I want 10000 a month. You do that exercise, but then you think, what is 10000 a month in terms of the expected revenue? And does that make sense as a percentage? Okay, exactly. it's traditional loan thinking made into a flexible way for businesses. It's a forecast, so it can go wrong. Uh, so there's some kind of performance risk we are taking as a lender. But because we have such a rich source of data, we can actually make that risk and it's a short-term loan. So the riskiness of this endeavor reduces even further. And especially for some of these digital businesses, you probably have significantly more data than even bank could have. They know all that data in extreme detail. And hence, some of these default rate I've seen in the industry is ridiculously low, as low as like 0.6%, 0.8% default rates. Yeah, and I think that's a, a key part, as you say, you can really get into the strength of this business on data these days. So much is available to you and that if you've got that business owner mindset. And the beautiful part is it's it's super customer friendly because customers don't have to care that I have to pay a few thousand pounds every month. They have to care of maximizing their sales, which is what they want to do. If they maximize their sales, the lender gets repaid faster. Everyone's happy. And you just have to worry about that one fixed fee and not worry about the APRs or IRRs or fixed or variable, whatever. So you don't have to worry, just one fixed fee. So yeah, I think the lending is not new. The model is not new. I think in short term lending has been around for maybe centuries, right? What is new is identifying a customer segment, which you can really understand by just asking customers to connect their digital presence because most of these customers have such a high digital presence. Like open banking is a small element of this underwriting, to be honest. It is an important element, but small element. So I think what alternative lenders have identified beautifully is a niche segment. I know players who are working on giving funds to e-commerce businesses or giving funds to SaaS businesses or giving funds to point-of-sale devices. And there was a report, I, I forgot, of which my funding circle or somewhere in UK, where they said that for the first time in 2022, alternative finance have actually overtaken traditional finance for small business lending. Yeah, so we're talking about the sort of brands and businesses we're familiar with from sort of Instagram ads and such. It's either going to take off and be selling around the world in a couple of weeks, or they're going to be fading away. And a traditional bank looks at that and says, well, I'm too scared about the ones that will fade away. So yeah, so I'm just going to kind of step step back. They don't understand it. Yeah, especially traditional bank, I cannot understand niche customer segment ever. Only 10 to 15% of their business customers will be e-commerce businesses. And hence, these alternative lenders will always fill the gap. And one thing which beautifully work in our BF industry is the collection is not weekly or monthly or fortnightly. It's actually daily collection. 
So every day we look at how much money a particular customer has made. If the repayment term is 10% of daily sales, we take the 10% of that as a direct debit, pull it out. So because of all these technologies blending, the APIs being readily available, open banking adoption increasing, and lastly, direct debits becoming more and more prominent, this ecosystem has worked really well. And what RBF industry has done is brought all these things together and gave up offering to customer which they never had. I think it's a fantastic example of fitting the payment terms to the business. Normally, when we think about a loan, every month you need to pay me a thousand pounds, and you're going to do that for three years, and then the deal is over. But what you're saying is we understand this is a business that's much more volatile than traditional. So what we're doing is matching our ambitions to yours. So customer sees three numbers, that's all. The amount they will be getting which is let's call it they are getting a million pounds. The fee they have to pay, let's call 10%. So they have to pay 100,000 pounds. And what percentage of daily sales the lender will be taking? And let's assume 15%. So from customer perspective, they have to pay 1.1 million pounds to the lender at the rate of 15% of daily sales. It can take three months. It can take six months. It can take 18 months. Yeah. So the repayment term is not fixed. Why customers love it is because they just assume they have made 85% sale and the other 15% will go to lender. Um, they don't have to worry that I have to pay 100000 a month and I didn't make a sale this month. And what do I do now? Both easy to see why it's great for the customer, but also then highlights why you need a different sort of lender, why you need somebody who can understand how long am I going to be uh, waiting for sales to reach the, the target amount. So clearly does need either somebody different to your traditional banker or somebody who understands at least the data that comes from e-commerce. And I feel like that's probably a big gap uh, for many lenders. Completely. And so two things to highlight there. Firstly, a normal underwriter will basically underwrite every business similarly. They look at data perfectly, right? But they'll need more data to make decisions. Yeah. And e-commerce sellers always have a working capital constraint. They'll buy inventory from, let's say, China, pay 50%. Two months later, you'll get your goods. You have to pay another 50%. Then you have to spend another 20% on ads, digital ads. Yeah, That's a lag of three, four months. And that's where these niche players play beautifully because you're, you're getting that capital for three, four months. You can do all these things without worrying. And as you start selling, you keep repaying that, that capital. Yeah, as I said, I think it really showcases both what makes this really exciting and what makes it daunting for people new to the space. And on that, you have struck out as something of a, a revenue-based finance expert for hire. So tell me about the work you're doing at the moment. <laughs> That's a very interesting way to put it, <laughs> revenue-based finance expert for hire. I'm actually more, more than expert for hire. I'm actually doing freelance work. So I think I've picked up a skill of this industry, working with multiple clients in multiple geographies. I've worked with now eight or nine different companies, some short-term projects, some relatively long-term. Read almost every article. I've researched almost every company out there. I've been a big fan of your show. I've got lots of learnings from your show and your newsletter. So based on all my experience, I think what I have done is found what we think are best practices. And the clients you've worked with have ranged in size, as you said, different markets as well. Are there any stories from that that you can maybe share that give a, a good example of how your sort of work can change what it means to lend to modern e-commerce small businesses? The challenges with different clients are actually quite different, and especially geographically. For example, I'm working with one of the companies in the Middle East, 
and they don't have open banking there and it's such a hard way to underwrite customers if you don't have open banking data are you ready to enhance your future in tech then it's time to make your move to the uk the nation that has more tech unicorns than france germany and sweden combined the nation that was third in the world to have a 1 trillion dollar tech sector valuation the nation where great talent comes together visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work live and move to the uk introducing wondersuite from bluehost.com website creation is hard but now with bluehost you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique wordpress website or store right away from there you can customize your design colors and content and bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like google and bing from step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins bluehost makes wordpress wonderful for everyone go to bluehost.com/wondersuite there's a french company i'm working with and they recently moved their strategy from underwriting e-commerce businesses to underwriting overall small businesses so they are building infrastructure so that they can capture as much data as possible and then their risk team can decide business we want to serve or business we don't want to serve all these skills that you're describing this ability to understand the data is being led in e-commerce i assume because that's where all the data is everything that happens online is immediately data but actually conceptually you should be able to lend to any small business like this if you can get the data from their businesses from their transactions in kind of the real bricks and mortar world in a world where data was all available you would be able to lend on the spaces to to any business really Yeah completely the beauty about e-commerce is a lot of data is available right because obviously everything is open what it becomes challenging is if you have a physical restaurant for example a lot of transaction is happening in offline world and that hence that data becomes slightly tricky to make it available but you still get car sales apis most of the point of sale devices have a open apis which they you can actually give access to the lender to give that data almost every company will have more and more digital presence and lenders can use that digital presence to make a qualitative judgment around the quality of business when you look at a traditional loan one of the problems with modeling is that you get very limited snapshots of data so you've provided the loan up front and then each month you get one chance to see did they repay you or did they not and suddenly they stop paying you it probably means that for a long time the business has been in trouble and you can phone them you can try your best but if you phoning them off they've missed two or three payments it's probably too late to really recover much but with the view that you've got with the sales and the day-to-day repayments you are not only getting a lot of data up front to make the lending decision you're actually getting data all the time that can help you manage it if something is going in the wrong direction you're going to see it so much earlier and of course sometimes that's still too late sometimes a business has no way to recover but in terms of being able to trigger collections processes in terms of being able to trigger account management processes you know on wednesday the sales are not quite where we thought they were going to be thursday they're going down immediately you can start working out what to do next and i think that's also an exciting way forward for lenders you're completely right so you can manage your quality of your loan book every day and everything which is gone in the wrong direction 
you can at least intervene and course correct. Yeah, because most of the time people are trying to pay you and that is great. But it does mean that if the mispayment is a thing that triggers action, which for most traditional lenders is the case. The thing is our customer is going to try avoid that to the best of their ability. So they may take out money of different parts of the business. They may not market to try and make that loan repayment. They've already stripped out all of that stuff and it's maybe too late. So missed payment in uh, revenue-based financing, the way missed payment work is if someone cancels their direct debit. Because it's a direct debit, people can cancel it and they have all the right in the world to cancel it. Contractually not, but technically they can. There's no other case of missed payment for us. The good part about re- uh, revenue-based financing is there's very little time when customer gets the money and customer spends the money and we'd get paid. So for example, in Shopify, all the sale till you make till midnight, customer gets the money sometime, let's say 10 a.m. and we withdraw the money at 12 noon. So the risk level by all these actions reduces massively. Uh, and hence, it's it's a beautiful model where customers are happy, lenders are happy, people who are giving this debt facility is happy, all the, the ecosystem is happy. And generally, this is just going in the right direction. One thing it reminds me of a little is Damien Burke at Custom Credit, who I interviewed a while back on the show, who have built a consumer lending product with some of the same philosophy in mind. And that's that we know that the revenues, the inflows, the salaries, whatever it may be, but the money that our customer makes is variable and their expenses are variable by month. And then we set a rigid uh, loan repayment. It's sometimes just the fact that we've got this rigid thing in a volatile, flexible environment that causes people to have a month where they maybe slightly miss a payment. And it triggers all sorts of other negative actions that, that happen and almost pushes us into a scenario we didn't want to have or didn't need to have simply because the product design was a bit weak. It hadn't taken into account something we all know that some months people make more money than other months. You may have a product that doesn't sell well in the summer months or when people on school holidays and the revenue drops, the sales drop for a month or for a few days or whatever the case may be. You know, you're not suddenly missing payments, having loans called in, getting put on credit bureaus. And so in both scenarios, there was never any difference in the risk of the business. But in one, a sort of a rigid product design forced a delinquency. Completely. This gives them that peace of mind that the only thing they have to worry about is maximizing their business. That's the only thing they have to worry about. And banks are moving in that direction. So if you look at Barclays, they have revenue-based financing. If you look at like almost every big bank has a revenue-based financing arm. Most of it is usually powered by one of the alternative lenders and they are just like a referral partner, but they are providing that service because they realize the need for this service. Yeah, and so as you said, there's a lot of interest in this space and growing interest from people maybe Uh, wanting to move into it or at least understand it better as they partner up in the space. If they wanted to work with you, Pratik, what's a good way for them to contact you for them to learn more about the work you do? LinkedIn is best. And I would love to learn what people are doing or thinking, or even if someone wants to brainstorm about it, I'm more than happy to. Because I'm I'm quite passionate about this space because I think it's there's something there. I'll put that in the show notes and that's Pratik Sawal, S-A-W-A-L. I can attest that you're very friendly and open online for discussion, so people should feel free to to reach out. And so, Pratik, there's obviously two sides uh, of this. You've got the business, but you've also got the marketplaces that they're selling on. And I assume that they also want their sellers to have access to finance to drive more sales through their platform. So 
If somebody is a marketplace, they're looking to embed finance in their offering. I know that embedded finance is a buzzword we hear a lot on the consumer side. Does that translate through to to this world as well? Very true. So it's going in that direction. There are a few players in the market who are doing it. Any platform which has access to sales data or payments data can understand when a customer needs a financing product. For example, if, if you're on Seller Central on Amazon, you realize that you need more money. If you find a button there where you are eligible for X amount of money, pre-qualified, that works really well. The problem with almost every alternative lender is how do you find people who need money, right? In a very simple word, right? And this acts as a very good distribution channel for their product. At the time they need it, conversion increases massively. It's been quite successful. There's like Amazon has partnered with a company called Paraffin in US, Uland in UK, which provides their sellers this particular data. Uh, it's not as tightly embedded in the ecosystem as I want it, but I think it's moving in the right direction. And I, I know a lot of players in the market who has uh, been thinking about it. It sounds like a no-brainer that the world's moving that way. The more data that becomes available, the more industries will roll into that. And if we expect life to be unpredictable to some degree we should build products that are a bit flexible but Pratik thank you so much for coming on for really getting me behind the scenes I think I said earlier I'd learned a bit about revenue-based financing before it turns out I hadn't I didn't understand all these mechanics so thank you for your time and for your insights thank you Brendan really glad to be here take care and thank you all for listening please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.